You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Why, hello there, friends and enemies. Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the Katie Kapodoff in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today... We have quite a few transactions to talk about. The big one is the Vikings trading for P.J. Hall. New addition, that means a new story time. We'll talk a little bit about the evaluation of him and what that means to the defensive tackle group. Uh, also, some other things around the roster. few people have been activated off of various reserve lists, as well as some people put being put back on various reserve lists. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. I want to talk with some, about some of the more miscellaneous stuff first. Perhaps most impactfully, a couple of players have been removed from the COVID-19 reserve list, which means that they've gotten enough negative tests, it's been long enough since they had symptoms, if they had any at all, probably never know, we never really have to, but if Fadi Odenabo and Anthony Barr are cleared to participate and get back into the weight room for the strength and conditioning ramp up the team is going through right now. This means that the Vikings are down to five players on COVID-19 reserve. Those players are Justin Jefferson, Tyler Higby, Brian Cole, Oli Udo, and Cameron Smith. It's very nice to get two penciled-in starters back on the roster. However, it does mean that a couple people need to be cut. The Vikings may have uh, thought of maybe going uh, into camp beyond the 80-person limit. They would have to cut down to 80 players by August 16th anyways. Uh, and in the meantime, they'd have to like practice in weirdly segmented groups based on who reported to camp first. The Vikings do plan on doing a lot of separation with the, their weight training and a lot of like extra social distancing measures, uh, but maybe the, their plan wouldn't split up the right way according to that rule, or they just chose to not have to deal with particular regulation. So they cut a couple players, Kimon Hall from uh, Juco from the Chargers practice squad is where he was last year, as well as Davion Davis, who was on the Vikings practice squad last year, undrafted free agent that didn't quite make the team. He did bounce onto the roster at one point in 2019, but he won't make it through camp this time. In other roster transaction odds and ends, Ben Gedeon has been put on the physically unable to perform list. He's on the active version of the list, not the IR version of the list. So this is the one that you can come off at any time. If you start the season there, then I think you have to like stay there uh, until week six. It's that one uh, rather than the one where you just are like on IR and we just have no idea when we're going to see you again. But with Ben Gedeon's history of concussions, this is obviously very concerning. There isn't any indication of what the actual injury is that Ben Gideon is dealing with, and the Vikings are under no obligation to share that. So we can only hope that it's just like a sprained ankle or something completely innocuous. If it is additional concussion issues, then this could be uh, like a career-threatening situation for Ben Gideon. Of course, with all of the dangers and the science that we now know about CTE and concussions, it's the kind of thing where you probably want to get out of the sport sooner rather than later if you happen to be struggling with that. And we've seen plenty of players hang it up because of concussion issues, uh, most notably like Luke Keekley at least recently. Also, Courtney Davis passed a physical. He was on the active uh, non-football injury list. No idea what that injury was. It was never reported, probably never will be. But whatever injury he suffered during the offseason, he now has recovered enough from to be able to pass a physical and be able to join in full the rest of the team. 
all of that puts the roster at a cool set of players, which then introduces PJ Hall to the mix. Early on Monday morning, the Raiders informed PJ Hall that they would be releasing him to get their roster down to 80, and I believe save a little bit of money. He was on a second round rookie contract, and he wasn't working out. He showed up overweight to camp last year. He Got some similar comments from John Gruden headed into this year's camp uh, in Gruden not really trusting that his weight would be where it was supposed to be, and so he was released from the team. But before that paperwork actually went through, the Vikings swooped in and offered the Raiders a conditional 2021 seventh round pick, conditioned on P.J. Hall making the Vikings roster and being on it for at least six games. So if P.J. Hall is on the roster for five games or doesn't make the team entirely, and then then is cut or some other way, you know, doesn't fulfill that criteria, then the Vikings don't pay anything and it was a costless flyer. PJ Hall plays mostly three technique and so he will primarily compete with Shamar Stefan, though he did play some nose tackle. So if the Vikings wanted to put him at nose tackle to compete with Armin Watson, Jaleel Johnson, and kind of help to add to the competition to replace Michael Pierce, they do have that option available to them as well. But before we go too deep into P.J. Hall, a real quick postmortem to the two Vikings who were cut today, Kimon Hall and Davion Davis. If you remember from the Storytime series, Kimon Hall was the one who uh, would go hunting with his grandfather growing up, and his grandfather kind of did that for him to help keep him out of trouble uh, as he was growing up in a less-than-great neighborhood and then he ended up going through multiple community colleges and basically had a, a career that, like, by all for all intents and purposes, should have been over. But he found his way to North Texas just in time to catch the eye of NFL teams. He ended up getting a shot with the Chargers, and he stayed on their practice squad until the Vikings took him when they were dealing with some uh, depth issues, some injury issues of their own, and he signed a futures contract to maybe try to make the team this year, but didn't make it very far as he had to be cut as part of the 80-man thing. And there will be more cuts coming in the future as more players come off of, God willing, the COVID-19 reserve list. Davion Davis comes from Sam Houston State, ironically, to make some space for the other Sam Houston State player that the Vikings just brought in, in P.J. Hall. Uh, but as a small school kid, he had quite a bit to overcome. He was extremely productive at Sam Houston State and kind of was uh, like a legend there, and probably will remain one on their record books for a while. But that small school pedigree, he just wasn't able to overcome heading into the 2019 season, couldn't make it on the roster, but for just a short moment. Uh, and of course, in 2020, he wasn't able to stop himself from being the first victim of the 80-man cutdowns. But I'm sure, I, I would guess at least, that there would be another one coming out of that wide receiver group. But hey, who knows? I could be wrong. But before we go into PJ Hall stuff, which I think is going to be the rest of the show, if not, I'll try to sneak in some roster prediction stuff if there's time. I want to talk to you about your car. Do you know how often uh, you're supposed to replace your transmission fluid? Like how many miles? If not, you're probably like everyone, unless you're like a huge gearhead that totally knows this stuff. But just so you know, every 30 to 60,000 miles, you're supposed to replace your transmission fluid. And if you're getting your oil changed regularly, sometimes they'll do that for you. But if not, you might want to head over to rockauto.com and buy some transmission fluid yourself. Their interface is awesome. All you do is go to rockauto.com, enter your make, your model, and your year, and uh, tell them that you want 
transmission fluid. You can browse to it very easily and you are going to get an awesome deal. So head on over to rockauto.com, buy whatever you need for your car, whether you're a gearhead or just somebody trying to maintain a vehicle that gets you from point A to point B. And in the how you heard about us section, tell them that Locked On sent you. If you don't, my wife will leave me and she'll take the kids. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Lease the 2024 RX 350 Premium All-Wheel Drive for $5.28 a month for 36 months with $49.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer in the Lexus Eastern area ends April 1st, 2024. Believe it or not, in high school, P.J. Hall was a two-way player playing defensive end, which you probably believe, and running back, which is hilarious to me. Imagine giving the ball to Daniil Hunter on a running play and then just like watching him romp over everybody. This is the weird stuff that works in high school. Honestly, I'd be down to try it in the NFL. Daniil Hunter can do anything he puts his mind to, if you ask me. Uh, but P.J. Hall was a very good two-way player. Unfortunately... He was a little too short for what major colleges were really looking for, and he hadn't really found himself as a defensive lineman yet. And as a two-way player, he just wasn't really getting a lot of hype. And he ended up at Sam Houston State, where Davion Davis went. There must always be a Bearcat. After redshirting his freshman season there, as a defensive end in his like uh, redshirt freshman year, he was a phenom. He won a bunch of like defensive players of the week. He was like super disruptive, and he had a pretty good run there as a defensive end. Unfortunately, he didn't quite have the ideal length as a defensive end, and as he got older, it was time to uh, kind of figure out what he was going to be in the NFL and try to like unlock him to the next level, and that meant moving him inside to defensive tackle. But as a small school kid going through weird position problems, he didn't think he was going to get like too much hype. Even though he was a freakish athlete and he could like still probably be a running back if you had asked him to and everything, it's just hard to, to stand out. Um, and it really wasn't until he figured out his power and he figured out like this, there's this great anecdote about him, like, uh, fixing his weightlifting technique. He would squat and he was doing something wrong with his shoulders and he had a coach that like fixed that for him. And suddenly he could like squat like a hundred extra pounds. And that like change in his conditioning suddenly unlocked this like God streak that he went on at the end in Sam Houston state. And he had this awesome burst and all this athleticism, but a lot of rawness just because he wasn't particularly used to the inside rushing and just like the different assignments and all that. And of course the small school pedigree, he still was like seen as kind of a, a raw kid. But what really got him on the map and when you're a small school kid like at Sam Houston State something's got to put you on the map when you look at the box score stat sheet for him his claim to fame is 14 punt blocks 14 of them in a college career that is unreal so as a scout, even if it's just out of like a morbid curiosity for what is happening to these poor special teams units, you know, you got to go throw on the kid's tape. And he had enough on his tape, enough power. He was, you know, blowing people back and stuff that it felt like it was worth giving him a shot. Now, he didn't get a combine invite. And he's actually one of the highest drafted players ever to not get a combine invite, but then like still get drafted, uh, which is really cool. And he kind of felt his draft stock 
uh, rise up as soon as he kind of unlocked more of that power by changing, you know, that change in weightlifting and just that change in technique and coaching. Uh, he kind of went from a guy who thought he was going to be undrafted to a guy that maybe I could go in like the fourth or fifth round. And so he was pretty surprised when the Raiders called him on day two. That is something that you don't see every day where the player himself, I mean, most players coming into the draft think, well, I'm the best player in college football. I mean, they just have to, it's just the mentality that you have to have to make it this far. You have to have that sort of swagger and confidence. But even that was like, even like the Raiders were even higher on PJ Hall than PJ Hall was. I think that's hilarious. But they took a chance on the kid. He was raw, he had a lot to learn, but they liked his potential and they liked the athleticism. According to the whispers surrounding him, the Vikings liked him too, and he certainly fits their MO as a defensive tackle. And he actually had a decent rookie season as like a rotational player kind of starting out 2019. This is where the problem started. He showed up overweight to camp and he couldn't pass a physical on the first try. He had to shed a bunch of weight. He had to get himself in shape. And that sort of sullied his uh, sophomore campaign. It wasn't a bad campaign by any means. I'll talk more about his actual ability and like what I found on tape and the stats and stuff uh, in the, the last part of the show. But suffice it to say, it was like good enough to be maybe, oh, he's you know, disappointing for a second round pick, but not to be like unrosterable. So it's a little bit surprising when the Raiders call him on Monday morning that they're and tell him that they're going to cut him. Now, I'm completely speculating when I say that maybe he showed up overweight again or there was some weight issue again. It just kind of reads that way, obviously, with the past and the timing of it all uh, and and needing to get down to 80 men. You know, why didn't you cut a random guy? You know, why not? Why was he the 89th man on the roster? You know, there, there's a little bit of suspicion there, less than in other years, because like you have to cut someone right now. Like people just getting cut out of nowhere right now in a normal year would be like a huge red flag. Something is clearly very wrong, but like they are, they have to pick someone. So it's still quite the red flag, but not as much of one. Uh, But now he kind of gets a chance at a redemption arc. Things didn't work out in Oakland slash Vegas. That's okay. That happens. Maybe you need different coaching. Maybe you need a different environment, a different uh, weight training regimen. You know, teams approach these things differently. And sometimes another team will just be able to unlock it. Sometimes not. But before we go into the evaluation of PJ Hall himself, a quick word on the actual trade. So like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, this was a conditional seventh round pick. So PJ Hall has to make the team and be on it for six weeks for the Vikings to actually pay up that seventh round pick. Anything short of that, and it might as well have been a waiver claim. And what it sounds like is, so the Bengals actually have like a depth need at defensive tackle, so they may have been interested in him and they're first on the waiver priority order. So if you wanted P.J. Hall, you were going to have to pay something, and basically a conditional seventh based on, you know, making the team and uh, being on it for six games, that's about the lowest price you can get. It's essentially approaching the Raiders and say, hey, I know you're about to throw out your trash. I'll pay you a quarter for it. The Raiders, all right, sure, I was going to get nothing. Now I get a quarter, whatever. I'm fine with that. And even if I don't get a quarter, it's all the same to me. Uh, And you can then, it's basically like a free waiver jump. They did... something very similar last year with Mark Fields. If you remember, they actually made a similar trade with the Kansas City Chiefs. They It was a conditional seventh round pick on him being on the roster for four games. Mark Fields was on the roster for two. They cut him. He cleared waivers. And, uh, you know, since it wasn't cut day anymore and there wasn't a lot of roster tumult, there was 
a lot less demand for a cornerback. So nobody, you know, everybody had their 53-man roster set. Nobody wanted to cut anybody, and it was a much safer time to get him through to waivers and through to the practice squad. And he stayed on the practice squad for the whole year, and you actually got him on a futures squad. So you basically, for free, for a, a seventh-round pick you didn't actually have to pay up on, you got to jump the waiver order. And the same thing happened here. Uh, and it's kind of funny, too, because Paul Gunther, D.C., over there uh, in Vegas... Longtime friend and uh, longtime employee of Mike Zimmer. Of course, they coached together in Cincinnati. He was Zimmer's linebackers coach, and they like screwed over the Bengals. Like together, they joined forces to screw over their old team out of getting PJ Hall. Kind of a fun thing. Obviously, not actually that personal. They just you know wanted Zimmer just wanted a, another defensive tackle to come in, uh, but cute nonetheless. So stick around and I'll talk about if PJ Hall is like actually good and what the deal is with him being cut and uh, being available for so cheap after being a second round pick. Uh, and we'll try to kind of explain away and, and try to establish an expectation for PJ Hall. Coming right up. P.J. Hall is a power rusher. He is somebody who is going to go through you before he goes around you. That's really what I see in the limited tape study that I've done. I might do more on Twitter. So if you follow me at Luke Braun NFL, I might eventually get around to like really trying to figure out what his deal is. Uh, but on a cursory skim, just kind of in the wake of the immediate wake of the news, uh, what I got was a lot of power and a lot of, you know, he's somebody that needs to run through you. Not so much like a Hercules Mata'afa who goes around you, a, a lot closer to like the way Fadio Denebo approaches his business. And there's not really anything wrong with one or the other. I prefer, would prefer to have a diversity of them on my roster, uh, but that's really his style. That's his game. He wants to try to overpower you, win the hand battle, get a push, and that can be really nice on the defensive line, especially if you're trying to bat down balls, close in the pocket, especially if you have an edge rusher that likes to, uh, you know, speed rush and rush up field like Daniel Hunter does. If you can get a push on a guard, uh, you can really collapse that pocket and it can really like unlock a lot more of that production. This is something Vikings were really bad at last year. So that could help. But uh, PJ Hall was like a rotational player for the Raiders. And I don't think he's got a ceiling higher than that, at least at this juncture. I think he needs to really develop more pass rushing moves and just more uh, like solid polish in his technique to really get there. But the other thing is, like, his actual fit in the roster is a little bit awkward. Um, and not in a bad way, but it's something that's, like, complicated to kind of parse out. So he plays three technique primarily. And at least according to the beat reporters, they all think that he is going to be, like, a three technique to compete with Shamar Stefan. Not a nose tackle to replace Michael Pierce. So when you see, you know, oh, Vikings traded for DT PJ Hall, you'd think, oh, well, they just lost a DT, they got a DT. Okay, great, this is the Michael Pierce replacement. I would disagree with that. For one, he does have like the strength power game that Michael Pierce does as opposed to Armin Watts, who has good enough power, but I think he wins more with like hand technique and, and like pass rush moves and, and general like patience and length, not necessarily just like bull rushing through you or just being too big to move. Like Michael Pierce kind of would have that, like he just like commands a double team. Cause that's the only way you can get him to the spot you want him to, you want to get him to. And he did play a handful of snaps at nose tackle for the Raiders. So it's not something that he's like completely foreign to. Um, and I, I can't remember who said it, if it was just somebody on Twitter, if it was actually a coach, but somebody who was charting this said uh, that he had played like everything from zero to three technique. So if you remember the defensive fronts episode that we did a while back, I've not go check it out, but basically the way that that system works is zero technique is lining head up with the center, uh, you know, face to face directly in the middle. The one technique is the 
the gap between the center and the guard. Two technique is the guard. And then three technique is the gap between the guard and the tackle. And those are all the like interior alignments you can have. And he play, has played all of those and has experience there. So he can move all around. And that's probably really attractive to the Vikings. The Vikings like to move guys around like that. They like to have a game where, you know, if you, if you watch and just pick one defensive lineman, and just go take a snapshot of every snap right before and look and find where that guy is, you'll find him lined up against one guard, another guard, lined up against the center, lined up at the B gap and the A gap. You'll find them move all around because of the way that Mike Zimmer likes to design his blitzes. He wants to move things around and create as much chaos as possible to make it harder for the quarterback to read that. And having somebody that can play multiple positions so you can have the same players on the field but do multiple things with them and Therefore, it's like not a tell. That's really helpful. That's why he likes that versatility. I, I cite the versatility thing all the time, but I don't really say why as often as I should. So there's that. So in a future episode, we'll talk about the actual uh, like defensive tackle group and how it is going to shake out, or I'll at least try to predict how it will shake out. But real quick, it basically I'm putting him in terms of the roster tier. I'm putting him in the competition tier. I think he comes in and immediately will compete to start with Shamar Stefan. He's got to beat Shamar Stefan. If you just went off the 2019 performance, PJ Hall outcompeted Shamar Stefan. He got more pressures, got more run stops, more disruptions. Um, and I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe on a cursory glance, uh, he commanded more double teams as well. So as a three technique, in terms of production, he outproduced Shamar Stefan. I think he outgraded Shamar Stefan. Um, and I, so I think if you just go based on that, PJ Hall should be the favorite to win this job. The thing is, the, the elephant in the room is that he's got to make weight. And that is like a well-documented issue. And if he's getting cut like during the conditioning part of camp, that's really concerning, um, and not cut, but, you know, traded for pennies on the dollar. That's really concerning. So if he can come in and, and have his conditioning straight, and there's a lot to be said about, you know, the coaching style of, like, Mike Zimmer and Andre Patterson, most of the defensive linemen, oh, I mean, all of the defense, everybody who's worked under Andre Patterson gushes about him. Everybody would go to war for him. So I'm not too worried about, like, motivation in terms of the way the coaches, like, work, but some guys just don't have all that motor. Uh, I, I talked to, I asked your boy Q, he is the Locked On Raiders host, to give me the deal on PJ Hall. And he said all sorts of potential, all sorts of athletic upside. Like he is a super athlete. His broad jump, his vertical jump are absolutely insane. He's decently quick, um, but he's just this like really unbelievably powerful man. And it's just a matter of, you know, translating that into actual football production. But it was always going to be like a small school athletic upside guy, which is why everybody liked him in the fourth or fifth round when he was coming out. And drafting that in the second round is like a huge reach. That's kind of the story of, of him when it was like time to draft him. Um, and so it's going to be a matter of like unlocking that potential. So that is still where he's at, though. He's still potential. And I think if I were looking at a guy that's still, like, potential headed into their third year, yeah, I'd be a little frustrated with that. I feel the same way about, like, Jalen Holmes, right? He's still just kind of potential. And at a certain point, you have to get on the field more than, like, on third downs or as, like, you know, to spell the starter for a drive or two a game. But what Q told me was that he had a motor issue, that he wouldn't, you could kind of find him taking too many plays off, and there were, like, effort issues called out by the coaches, and effort issues that you could, like, see on tape, so that's going to be something, like, if you, you just got to, like, be able to, to unlock the true motor and really get him to play as tenaciously as we see from guys like, as much as I rag on him, Shamar Stefan. 
Or Jaleel Johnson. I see a lot of motor with Jaleel Johnson. He's definitely a play-till-the-whistle type. Or Brian O'Neill on the other side. You know, you've got to see that kind of... Uh, that that escalation in motor, and then it can unlock a lot of potential. But right now, he still is potential, and the question is, can he become more than potential? Because at a certain point, potential just becomes you're not very good. But a coaching change, a change of scenery, a change in scheme, a change in fit could all very much be like the secret sauce that P.J. Hall needs to unlock it or not. And you cut him and you didn't spend anything. The nice thing about this, I mean, coming off of the uh, Spielman extension, this is a very, very Spielman move. This is something that Spielman does all the time, which is very low risk, uh, you know, high reward flyers, low risk, low likelihood, high reward, where you can basically pay nothing like this is paying nothing for something that might work out awesome. And then you got something something awesome for free. But worst case scenario, it doesn't work out, they're bad, and you didn't pay anything, so whatever. In terms of actual fit into the roster and that awkwardness, so again, I don't think that he's going to be competing in the nose, it doesn't sound at least at this juncture that he's going to be like competing in the nose tackle position, I think that would be okay, but we did just have Mike Zimmer come up on the podium uh, talking about Rick Spielman's extension, and in that press conference, somebody said, hey, what are you going to do about Michael Pierce? This was like two hours before the trade happened, too, so we didn't know about this yet. And he was, he just gushed about Armin Watts. He was like, yeah, Armin Watts is going to, like, take a step up, and we're going to be totally fine. I'm actually fine with the guys we have right now. Uh, so Zimmer saying that kind of tells me that, like, they don't really feel a need to replace Mike Pierce, uh, like, one for one, but instead, they just wanted to bring in a three technique that they were high on pre-draft, and I, I think this was, like, a move of opportunism to compete for the three technique position. There's two like common motivations for an acquisition in the NFL. There's the acquisition for need, right? You need a wide receiver. You went out and you drafted Justin Jefferson. And then there's the opportunism one where, oh my God, this guy just like came available and we just have to do it. That's the kind of thing that I think the Vikings would do even if they still had Linval Joseph on the roster and they still had Sheldon Richardson on the roster. I think they'd probably still go get PJ Hall because he's a guy that they like and he was there for free. Losers of this transaction, however, are probably guys like uh, Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa. Still have a hard time seeing James Lynch be on the roster bubble. Um, not because of his fourth round pedigree. I, I think that just because of, I've said it a bunch of times, but because of the, the practice squad expansion and the ability to protect guys like that, you can like more safely cut a fourth round pick if they're not ready to play yet. If they're like too raw or whatever, you can protect them, keep them on your practice squad. Like that option's available. So the fourth round pedigree thing isn't quite as good a armor as it usually is. Uh, but I just think, I just am high on James Lynch and I think he'll be able to, to make the team pretty easily. So if if you think about the defensive tackle group and you think about like the two nose tackles, which would be Armin Watts and Jaleel Johnson, and they'll go compete for that job. And then you have the three technique job. You have Shamar Steffen, James Lynch, and PJ Hall. That's your D tackle group. And now Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa are on the outside looking in unless those guys prove to like be better than Shamar Steffen or whatever. But if that were true, we probably would have seen previous years shake out a little differently. So those guys are going to be in a little bit more trouble now that PJ Hall has been added to this mix. And what's worse for them, even if they did, maybe they got better over the offseason, you know, Hercules Mata'afa, like, gained a bunch of weight, he he did one that, uh, he posted that in the offseason that he weighed in at, like, 290, which is great for him, uh, then you don't really have much of a chance to prove it. There's no preseason. There's only like eight padded practices or something like that. So you don't really get much of a chance, especially on that interior defensive line. We have heard the coaches say time and time again, you can't evaluate that in short. So they're going to have like eight practices that they're going to have to go all out to try to make this roster. It's going to be really rough for them. So this probably spells, I would not be surprised if this spelled the end for both Mata'afa and Holmes and your interior defensive line went Jaleel Johnson, Shamar Steffen, 
Lynch, Hall, and Watts. I'm going to, I'm not going to commit to that yet. I'll go to the defensive line group in the roster building stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll double check it, uh, in a future episode, probably tomorrow, but I don't know. That's a defensive tackle group that I can at least feel like decently about, like they won't be the worst one in the league this year. So on that Petri note, I will, uh, wrap it up for this episode of Locked on Vikings. You can of course find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. We'll talk more roster predictions, 53-man predictions tomorrow, and as always, skull.